Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series in 10 words, if you're just joining us uh, or missed last week. this 10 words, we're going through the summer series of one commandment each week uh, of the 10 commandments, and this is week two, so we'll be on to the second commandment. And what we're going to be learning in this series is that the words of the 10 commandments, though they are in the Old Testament, are so very, very important to our lives today. So, so important that we see how the connection of how the Old Testament and the New Testament come together, that when Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill fulfill the law, and how the Ten Commandments are still really very vital into our lives. And so last week, we did a little bit of a quiz. I asked you, uh, asked the group if they could name all the ingredients of the Big Mac, of which everyone knew the song and the jingle. And I said, okay, let's now go through the Ten Commandments, of which I think we had two or three people who knew them. And that's because our society has moved away from even talking about these very important things. And we also talked about how we, as even Christians or followers of Christ, are starting to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we like, that we follow, and if it pushes against some belief system we have, we ignore it or say it's not as important. And one of those things we talked about is the Sabbath. Have a a Sabbath day keep it holy, and our culture now says there is no day of rest. All seven days of the week are filled. And so we were processing what does it mean for us to join in in all 10 commandments and actually grow and live these out. And so this summer series is a great series. I challenge all of us, if you miss, if you're gone for a week, please join us online, listen to our podcast, because they're going to be building as we start to see that the 10 words, the 10 commandments are so important for shaping how we live out the callings that Jesus has in our lives. So we found out this. We found out last week that that Jesus was confronted and asked the question of all the commandments, what are the most important? And there are 613 different laws or commandments inside of the Old Testament. And so there are 613, and this religious teacher was asking the question, which one is the biggest of all of them? And Jesus being so skillful in his teaching and his understanding of us as humans, says, I'm going to summarize all Ten Commandments for you in two things. He says, love God and love others. And so he takes the Ten Commandments. If we love God, which the first four commandments focus on a relationship to God, and then we love others, the last six commandments deal with our relationship to people, that we fulfill everything that God has come to say. Because God loves people. And so when we say we love God but don't love people, it doesn't make sense. Or if we say we love people but don't love God, it doesn't make sense because God's the creator. And so he brings these two together that says we need to love him first and then others the same way. And so Jesus taught us that. And now we're moving into number two because the first one had to do with that there are no other gods besides our God, or Yahweh. There is no other gods. And now the second one is kind of similar to it, but actually it's quite distinct. We're in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. Exodus 24 through 6, which will be up here on the screen as, uh, as well. 
uh, 24 through 6 has to talk about building idols. It says this, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So last week, again, all about there's no other gods before him, and because God takes his rightful place at the top of everything. There is nothing, nobody, anything created. I am the top of all of it. Now he says this. Now you may not make anything in any image in which you're going to have a visual representation in which you are going to adore and love. Because God being the invisible God is now saying, you may not make anything visible, there'll be a visible sign for you to worship. You may not make anything, you may not carve anything, you may not uh, you know, engrave anything, nothing can be made which will be worshipped besides me. And what's really interesting about this is when you put these two pieces together, you take an image of the invisible God saying, I am God of all things, I'm above all things, but you can't see me, to a human group in which everything is physical, and he says, don't make anything physical to worship, you have to worship me, the unseen God. Now, the tension point for us this morning is that we see, well, wouldn't it make sense for God to give us something to be a focal point of worship? Give us something to worship and give us something to see that we can say, this is my focal point of worship. But the Lord God knows the heart of man, which is corrupt and sinful, and know that anything that we start to create in our lives becomes our center of attention in that in which we worship. Because God, being the unseen God, didn't say, I'm going to make, give you an option of how you can worship me. I'm giving you the rules on how to worship me, which is this. Do not create anything. Do not make anything. Do not worship anything besides me. Nothing. There's no visual aspects. Absolutely nothing can be taken as some sort of way to worship God. So what about creating images do you think is so appalling to God? What makes us so terrible The terribleness of this is that something that we make that we worship now is created by us, which puts us in the driver's seat of that which we adore. Let me say this again. That which we create and that which we worship is created by us, which puts us in the driver's seat and drops God down another level. That nothing created by us should ever, ever be worshiped. But we know in our culture It's happening all the time. We're always creating things that we worship. We're always creating things that have our adoration. And though you probably don't have a carved image of something in your home in which you bow down and worship, the truth is, is that we have created things that get all of our adoration and all of our time and all of our love and all of our energy and eventually all of our worship. So God breaks it down very simply. Don't make an idol. Don't worship an idol. But I want you to understand, maybe you missed it, the back part of what he's saying. Don't make it, don't worship it, because I want you to listen again to the back part of this passage, which is uh, part of five into six. He says this, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
don't know if you've ever really thought about God being jealous. I'm a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. I'm just curious. Do we think he's serious about this? Or is this just one of those, he's being dramatic? Or maybe just trying to make a point? Or does he really, our God, Lord God Almighty, seriously, a God that wants nothing before him? And it is so intense that nothing can be before him that those who love the Lord God, that the generations that come after, that there is a blessing which comes from God, and from those who do not love God, that the generations that come after that person, there is a curse on them. That's intense. Think about this. If God is a jealous God and he's saying to us, I alone get your adoration. I alone am the Lord God Almighty. I alone created everything that you see. I alone created you. I alone created everything. And you're telling me, this is my you know, aside, that you think that, that your girl, that I know you love your daughter. I know you love her. And I know that you love that she plays soccer. She gets your worship and adoration over me? I know that you love your job. I know that you are a workaholic and you love to work hard, but you're going to tell me you worship your work instead of me? And he says this, nothing comes before me. I alone get you. I alone am the fixture, the fixture of your adoration and worship because I am the one who did it. I get it all. And so when you don't worship me and worship something else, you are cheating on me. It's a form of adultery. We have a relationship. It's you and me. Why are you sleeping around? That's what God is saying about his worship, that there is no one that comes between him and his people, that he alone deserves everything that we have in every aspect of all of our lives. It isn't an option for the people who follow God. The thing that kind of shakes me a little bit about this is this whole generational thing. Here we are celebrating Father's Day. And one of the, the known facts of Father's Day in the church world is that Father's Day is one of the lowest attended church services throughout our year. That men now say, it is my day. And so, not being very, not mosaic, of course, stereotypical. Uh, people, men say, this is my day, and my day is about me. And so now the adoration of me comes into play. And because I work hard and I do a lot and I do so much for everybody, today the, the first thing we're going to do is we're not going to get up and go early to church. I'm just going to relax and lay around all day. The other side of this, one of the most highly attended, other than the big services, of course, is Mother's Day. And mothers say, say, it's Mother's Day, you're all getting up, I don't care if you're tired. Mom gets all the kids dressed, she takes care of all the breakfast, she gets on Mother's Day, right? She gets all the family there, kids are grumbling, husband's grumbling, they go to church, mom's like, yay, we're in church today! And it's like the complete opposite. And I gotta ask this question, not that I wanna slap wrists on the fathers on Father's Day, but I gotta ask the question, have you thought that your sin is going to be generationally passed down to your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids? That when you do not love the Lord your God, 
with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that has a ripple effect? Have you ever thought that when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that has a ripple effect the other direction? And this isn't just for fathers, this is for moms too. That when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we do not worship other things and God is rightfully in the right place in our life, that the blessings of God comes on us in ways that we can't even imagine. And I'm not saying, hey, you love God, you're going to get a million dollars. That is the opposite of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the favor of God is on you and he sees you. Because generational sin is a legitimate, biblical, real thing right here. It is right here inside of Scripture. Now, I know this from doing pastoral counseling for many years. I'll just use one thing that, that I think is the easiest example. There's many examples. I want to talk about sexual sin. When I sit down with a young man or a gentleman, even someone older in their age, and they're struggling with sexual sin, whatever it be, pornography, adultery, sleeping around, whatever it would be. I say, tell me your story. Well, I was at my dad, and I found a magazine under my dad's bed, and that's where it started. Or I found a video, or I talked to my dad. I said, Dad, what's, what's the right thing I should do with ladies? And he tells me that, hey, you, know, you need to find what's best for you, and so you take sleep around, and you find what's best for you for marriage, and all this terrible advice of sin. And so this young man learns at a young age that, like, Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just going to ask the question, do you think that dad struggled with sexual sin? But this is the beauty of what generational sin does. Generational sin is broken through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the curse of God now turns into the blessing of God if I break the sins of my fathers and you break the sins of your parents and we break the sins of what's come before us, Christ trumps everything. And so now when we do that, we now stop the line and we now cast blessings down for generation upon generation for those who love the Lord their God. Because now generational sin is broken by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when we are living our lives, this is so fascinating, because in our culture, we believe my life is mine, YOLO. You only live once. New saying, live your best life. It's all about me. But actually, God says, that's not how this works. It's all about we. And so when I'm, quote unquote, living my best life, if my best, not, if my best life is not attuned and lined into the holiness and awesomeness and the words and the teachings of my Lord God, I am now adding to the dumpster fire of sin that's being passed down over and over and over and over again. But when I love the Lord my God, when I break generational sins, when I stand up and I say, no more, the Lord God Almighty is all that I worship, that's all that I am, now everything can change. I've had many conversations, friends, many conversations about generational sin. I've, I've heard it, I've, I've walked with people through it. It's hard, it's sad. And honestly, I've seen people, I'm gonna really try hard to get out of this. I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work hard to get out of this. And the way that it's broken is through the blood of Jesus Christ, which means we have to stop hiding. We have to stop pretending like our lives are okay. We need to get into accountability and have real talks and real relationships because we are not meant to do this alone. And so when we are in together 
seeking what God has for us, we work together as men, work together as women, work together as small groups to help break and rid ourselves of this constant sin in our lives. Things change. Things change. Maybe you have experienced that. Maybe you're one of those people who said, Jason, I'm, I'm vibing what you're saying because I struggled so mightily in this area and I, and, and, I, and I gave it all to Christ. I gave it all and the Lord God became the top of my worship. Maybe that's you. Here's the other side. I've been struggling with this sin forever and I can't beat it. My question is, is the Lord God the top of all things or are you trying to be really strong? Because the Lord God, the Holy Spirit's job is part of that, counseling, transforming, teaching us, having us understand the scriptures so that we as humans can start to move into the place where God has us, which is to be freed of all of it because of Jesus Christ. And now we are never going to be freed of all of it because you and I keep sinning. So it's like a constant, you break free, then we put ourselves in chains. Break free, put ourselves in chains. And this generational sin starts to keep on it, and we start to feel, well, what am I supposed to do? How am, I gonna, how am I going to win? And the beautiful story is, the answer is, has been, and always be Jesus Christ. It is just Christ and Christ alone. But the truth is, we keep putting other things in our lives, other idols. We start finding things that make us feel good when we're in pain. We start finding things to make us feel like we belong. We start doing things and adding things into our layers of worship in our lives or our adoration. Those become our idols. Listen to this. The late Tim Keller explains idols as this. He says they're counterfeit gods. Listen to this quote. Anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Is it anything in your life that is in that place? Anything in your life now that if I lost my wealth, I don't know if it's worth going on. If I lost my home, it's not worth going on. If I lost my kids, it's not worth going on. I lost my spouse, it's not worth going on. If I lost my position, it's not worth going on. If I lost my prestige, it's not worth going on. Is there anything in your life that is taking the place because you feel so desperate that if I lost this thing, life is not worth living? That thing is what you're worshiping. It's your idol. It's hard, man. It's hard. Because we create this. We create the idol ourselves. And being part of of Slinger community and part of the school across the street, I can tell you an idol of our community are kids. Parents are worshiping their kids in a really weird way, guys. Their kids are now becoming, and this is, this is a true thing, kids are now becoming the place and the, and the fixture in their lives in which the parents now feel like they belong to something. And when you get into the sport world, the arts world, the band world, the, anything in which there is, there is uh, praise and honor and, and self-esteem, the parents at an unbelievable rate are now taking their self-esteem based on their child's performance. And now what my child does reflects on me. And so they adore their child more than they adore the Lord God Almighty. 
And that child now has to be at this place in their parent's life where the child now has to hold up so that when they fail physically in a sport, academically in school, they didn't make the lead in the play. Now the parent says, I'm a failure because you're a failure. And the weight of that on a 15-year-old is just wickedly terrible. As opposed to the adult saying, here's the truth, young one. I love that you play sports, but your sports are worship to God. And if you do not worship God in your sports, you're not going to play anymore. I don't care if you're the star quarterback. You will not play unless you worship. Or say to them, I love watching you play, but we are not going to put this above the Lord. Those things, guys, it is weird what's happening in our culture right now. We are finding any idol in which we feel good, connected, and loved. As opposed to the living God who is made for us for our adoration, in which we give all of our life to, we try to find counterfeit gods over and over again. It doesn't make sense to me. And this week I was working on this sermon, and I was just processing. I was just processing. And hopefully you guys are starting to process too. I was thinking through my own life, and I, and I thought this. This is just what was on my heart. God... I want to know how to love you more. I want to know how to love you more. And just because I talk on a stage doesn't mean I love God. It means I'm a good communicator. Just because Nick and I are pastors doesn't necessarily mean we are living and following Yahweh. What it does mean is that we are all in the same boat together as humans. We all should be seeking to know what it means to love God more. But the truth of the matter, like all of you and myself and Nick, is my head is always turning to the new shiny thing because that new shiny thing makes me feel good until that thing fails me and then I find some other new shiny thing. Isn't that crazy? The Lord God has been with me from the beginning, has loved me from the beginning. I've seen him do miracles in my life, take care of me and love me, but my adoration and my love keeps turning to the new shiny thing. I'm like, God, I don't want that anymore. 47 years I've been doing this. And why does the shiny thing always get my attention? And so I just said, God, and this is, I'm processing this. So when you think that when we preach at you, 99% of the preaching is into our lives, just so you know, like the joy of preaching is that we learn and grow. And I'm trying to figure this out. God, how do I do this better? I don't want idols. They've always let me down, no matter what they are, no matter what my dream was, it let me down. It was cool for a second and it left me wanting because that's what an idol does. It leaves you wanting more. Author John Stott says this about idols. Idols are dead, God is living. Idols are false, God is true. Idols are many, God is one. Idols are visible and tangible, God is invisible and intangible. Idols are creatures and and the work of human hands, and God is the creator of the universe and all of humankind. Isn't it crazy that we keep trying to find an alternative to him? And maybe it has to do with this thing is that we need to see something to worship. Maybe this second commandment is pretty, in fact, very important because we want to see something tangible for us to be able to have our adoration. It's hard to love an invisible God because it creates 
faith in us that God is at work. But at the same time, this is the story of sin. When God separated from humanity, it's because of our fault and because of God's goodness, he's brought us back together. But in that in-between story in which we now sit in the history of God and humans, the in-between, he is an invisible God doing invisible, amazing things, and he is asking us to get all of our adoration all of the time. As we discussed last week, the Ten Commandments came down and God came in fire and smoke and there was thunder and lightning and this tribe of Israelites had to go before the mountain and all this is happening. And do you know later on in the story, the first thing that group of people do once Moses goes up the mountain is they go back and they create a golden calf and start worshiping it? They saw God's power and might and they're still like, eh, we want to see something to worship. So this isn't a new problem. We just create new things to worship in our day and age. Everything is getting worse. In the New Testament, Apostle Paul talks about this. And the correlation here between the old and new is that Paul's going to enter into Athens. And in Athens, he's going to go into and look around the community. And in this community, there are idols everywhere. They'd be in shops. You'd buy them, tchotchkes, all this kind of stuff. And they, he looks around all these gods that were worshipped because they worshipped many gods. That was common place among the Gentiles and the pagans is that they would worship all sorts of gods. If you were into any Greek mythology or, you know, all that kind of Roman gods, that's kind of a picture of what things were like. They had a god for this, a god for that. They're all moody. They all hate each other. They all hate you. That's kind of what the whole big story is of all those gods. And so there's all these gods that were out there, and they're worshiping all these types of gods. And Paul's going around, and he goes to this place in which he finds that they are so afraid that they're missing a god that they have a place mark for the unknown God. There must be a God we're skipping somewhere. So we're so afraid of missing a God of worship, we're going to have just one in place for an unknown God. Okay? I want you to listen to this passage because Paul now addresses this council as they're discussing, because Paul's preaching this gospel of a Jesus God who died and rose again because it was all about the resurrection. Listen to what he says. This is in Acts 17, 22 to 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhibit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are the, his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he has commands all his people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man who he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 
These Athenians are worshiping everything, trying to find some place in which they're going to be okay. And their belief of the afterlife was all over the place. But there's a belief that something's going to happen after. And so their fear is that we don't know who to worship or where to go. And so nowhere in their gods is Yahweh, because that was just the God of the Israelites. And Paul says this, guys, you are so terrified of this unknown God. I know him. And this is who he is. He doesn't need you to come and take care of his little idol. He doesn't need you to come and make things out of stone for him. He doesn't need you to sacrifice humans before him. He doesn't need you to do all these silly things. He is the God of the universe who gave you everything, who gave you breath, who gave you life. And so for the people to hear this would have been astounding because in their world, gods take from humans, but Yahweh gives. So this huge contrast now moves into him in the passage, who is Jesus, and he's given him, the one who's going to judge all, him is the one who rose from the dead, and we can know God by knowing Jesus. Everything wraps up. Everything comes together with the person of Jesus Christ. Everything comes together through the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus now is the visible image of the invisible God that we now know that Jesus has lived. We know that he has come. We know that he has died. We know that he has rose again. And now the invisible God is known to us through the person of Christ and the work of the cross is everything because now we know that we can be saved. And though all these idols that they were in, this word was like kind of confusing, and all of the idols that you have in your life are letting you down, and many of you have in your life an idol to an unknown God. What if, what if, what if there's other ways to heaven? What if, what if God isn't the only way? What if there's lots of ways to heaven? What if? And we keep this little question mark in our lives. Now, questions are fine, friends. We're here to explore and to journey through what this means. What I'm telling you is this. When you love the Lord God with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which Jesus instructs us to in the greatest commandments, there's no room or place for idols of any kind because everything else fails. And so our idols that we hold in our hands clenched How are you going to hold the hands of God when you've got idols in both of your hands with your hands clenched around it? Do you want to run up to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, and give him a hug while you're holding other idols in your hand? Do you ever see that picture of like when I get to heaven, there's like a girl like falling into Jesus's arms? Have you seen that? There's this picture, this beautiful picture of like when she gets to heaven, like she's smiling and just so happy to finally be there. And there's this picture of like we finally have made it. We get to be with our master and our creator, the joy of heaven. Can you imagine the joy of heaven while you've got a backpack and your hands full of all the idols that you've been worshiping besides him? Maybe God was really serious, and I'm going to tell you, not maybe he is, that in the second commandment, that we are to have nothing made and nothing worshipped because he's a jealous God, and those who love him or have blessings for generations, to those who hate him, there's curses. Maybe he is really, 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 really serious about sin. And he's really serious about his place of worship in our lives. How in the world, friends, are we replacing the God of the universe for junk? Absolute 
garbage we replace him for. At some point in our lives, in me being middle-aged, my midlife crisis, I'm starting to see how my idols are really garbage. I'm starting to see all my dreams and aspirations I had for life are failing. I, I start to see now that, man, if I was 18 and figured out some of these things, my life would look so different. My worship life would look different. Everything would look different. And I'm, and I'm learning and trying to say, God, I want to love you more. What can I lay down? What can I open my hands up? God, I don't want this stuff anymore. But the crazy thing about my life, and maybe yours, is if I get to the place of laying something down, when things get hard, I tend to pick it back up because it feels comfortable. I say, well, God, I know you love me, but I love this too. And I give it a hug like a teddy bear. And I say, God, why am I struggling so much? Oh, yeah, sorry. But I just want a hug. You know what I mean? Do we do this too often? And then we start to say, God, now bless me, hear me, love me, give, 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 give. But at the same time, I want to worship these things and ask you to bless me. That is not what the commandment says. So as we process today and start to soak on this, I'm going to challenge you this morning. This morning when you came in, you got a sheet of paper. Guys can flip up maybe the second light for me in the back, Tom. You got a sheet of paper that's got Exodus 20 on it, and this sheet of paper is for you. This sheet of paper, I'm going to give you a few moments. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and play behind as we give you a few moments. I'm going to ask you the question, what is your idol? What is your idol? And this piece of paper is for you. We're not collecting it. It's, it's personal for you. I'm going to ask you to do something with this piece of paper. I'm asking you to write it down and to put it somewhere prominent in your home until you're ready to rip it up and throw it away. Put it in your car, put it on your mirror, and just be honest for once. Why is God not getting all of your adoration and worship? I, I don't know, we all have different stories. But what is the idol in your life? Now, if you're like me, you're like, oh yeah, that's cool, I'm not gonna do it, bro. I understand. Because it's uncomfortable, and you don't want to admit it. I hear you. But we're here to exercise. Church is a gym. It's time to put some big plates on the end. Let's drop our idols, guys. If we want God to move in our church and to move in our lives, move in our relationships, move, we have to stop worshiping other things because he is a jealous God and will not accept it. But if we can start to lay down idols before God Almighty, now we start to see something change in our lives because our heart condition turns from us looking at things up to God in all things. And so what are the idols in your life? Here's your next step level. I like to level up. Level one, write something down. Level up, level two. Write something down and share that with somebody you trust in the faith journey. Ask, share this with somebody. Ask them to keep you accountable. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I, actually, I, I'm be honest. I do worship my kids. I worship them way more than I should. I do worship my job. I do worship my money and my security. I do worship. What are you worshiping in your life that's your idol that gets the adoration over God? And share that with someone. Level three. Do those two. Memorize the Ten Commandments. That was my challenge last week, to memorize and to know Exodus 20. Because when you keep in your mind, I have no other gods before me, I'm a jealous God. We start to see the character of God and start to know him for who he is, not for the God we want to create.
Because the real God is a lot different than the God that we're comfortable with at times. And this is one of those guys. There is no other God before him. He is alone, the Lord God Almighty. Listen to this verse again as you prepare your hearts and start and writing. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. No other God, no other statue, no other image, no other person, no other activity, no other possession. God is enough. God is all we need. He did it all for us through Jesus Christ. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.